Oh Lord, we thank you for giving us to one another. Help us to live with one another. Amen. Before I get started in the sermon, if I sound a little bit different this morning, it's because our sound system decided to take a Sunday off, uh, and we are using this outdoor system indoors. But uh, hopefully with this microphone, those of you watching online are able to hear just as always, but hopefully it'll be fixed next week. A fitness coach that I've worked with is a world-class coach. Dan John has worked with NFL teams, Olympians, and collegiate champions, and he's learned a lot about helping people to grow. Now back in college, he was a discus thrower, and he still works with a lot of track and field athletes. And he likes to tell the story of one time when he was teaching a group of young athletes who were learning how to throw. And he told the group that the discus throw is a simple movement. Twist, step, twist, jump. And then he demonstrated it, simple. Then a young athlete tried to mimic the motion, tripped over his own legs, fell to the ground, and complained, you said this would be easy. Coach responded, no, I said it was simple, not easy. Well, this morning's exhortation from St. Paul falls into that same category. Simple, not easy. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Then in Matthew, Jesus gives us very simple instructions on how to deal with conflict. And if we had gone just two verses further, we would have heard Jesus say, forgive, not seven times, but I tell you 77 times. Simplicity and ease do not always go hand in hand. At St. Luke's, we talk a lot about becoming beloved community, which sounds lovely. But it is certainly not easy. And it's not easy because love is not easy. And love is not easy because people are not easy. Now that word love, it is asked to do too many things in our culture. We love a pair of shoes. We love a particular brand of fizzy water. We love our families. God loves us. I'm not sure that there's another word in the English language that is asked to do so much. So if we're going to talk about love, we have to at least be on the same page. One of the better understandings of love comes from a medieval theologian who said, to love is to will the good of the other. So love is about our will, our intentions and actions, not necessarily our emotions, feelings, or preferences. And love is about pursuing the good. It's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And the word good in the language of scripture means as God intends. So love is about acting in accordance with God's direction and desires. And finally, love is about the other. Love, if it is godly and holy, is always directed beyond us. We act in love not in order to gain something in return for ourselves, but purely for the good of the other. The image of this sort of love that is willing the good of the other is Jesus on the cross. We love because God first loved us. So when we speak of love, that is the image to bring to mind. And this idea of willing the good of the other is what St. Paul is saying. 
The commandments are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus, which reads, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the same passage that Jesus quotes when he adds a citation from Deuteronomy to it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your will. Jesus tells us that it is this confluence of loving God and loving our neighbor that is the greatest of the commandments. And this willful commitment to pursuing the good of the other is what makes the church a beloved community. The joys of being in a relationship are so holy and life-giving. When the church resembles a beehive, lots of individuals all working together and buzzing with mission, the end result is far sweeter than honey. I've mentioned before there's a new book, uh, book out called The Great Dechurching, which is about the seismic shifts in the religious landscape of America. And one of the conclusions in this book's research is that one of the primary reasons why people leave churches is a deterioration of relationships. And one of the reasons why people are sometimes looking for a church is that they're hoping to find new relationships. We can have the best music in all of Christendom, the most well thought out and rehearsed liturgy, the most exciting programming, and St. Paul tells us, if we don't have love, we're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We cannot love without being in a community, and we cannot be a thriving community without love. This is very simple. I do not need to go on for pages and pages to make this point. But what would take books and books to cover is dealing with all of the complications that we run into by simply trying to love one another. Because as I have said, beloved community is not easy because we are not easy. Now Jesus knows this about us. That's why he tells us, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out that fault. St. Paul says, owe no one anything except to love one another. And that's why Jesus' instruction is not, if someone sins against you, tell them off and go find some new friends. We don't get to do that in the church because we owe love to one another. And the debt of love is one that can never be paid off. Love is infinite, and so our relationships endure. The simple, even if not easy truth to hear, is that we can never be done with one another. We can be separated or estranged, but we are still in a relationship. The question is not, do I want to be in a relationship with this person? No, the question is, what kind of relationship am I called to be in with this person? Owing love to one another is not easy. Because too often we struggle with forgiveness. We hold on to our resentments as if they were some of our most valuable possessions. The word forgive, it means to let go. But we don't want to let go of our sense that we are better 
or more reliable or more trustworthy or more capable than that person. We don't want to let go of whatever we feel entitled to because someone wronged us in the past. We don't want to let go because we rather like having a barrier of anger or antipathy between us so that we feel like we have an excuse for being estranged. Now, I do need to offer a disclaimer here. This commitment to relationship is about pursuing beloved community. Verbal, physical, or emotional abuse is something never to be accepted, normalized, or tolerated. Because of human imperfection and brokenness, some relationships are not reconcilable on this side of eternity. Some brokenness is so deep that the healthiest relationship is one of distance. This gospel passage and the call to beloved community should not shame you or anyone you know into remaining in an abusive, unequal, or unhealthy relationship. Now, that does not mean that we don't continue to will the good of the other, but the reality is that sometimes the good means being separated when restoration is not possible. In most situations, however, thanks to the grace of God, the hard work of reconciliation is possible. And so Jesus tells us we start by being honest, which takes a lot of courage and vulnerability. It's a lot easier to just dismiss someone than to name brokenness or wrong. Several years ago, I attended a leadership program at the Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro. They do some really good programming. And I remember one of the exercises that they had us do was about how to give better feedback. The acronym they gave us was SBI, Situation, Behavior, Impact. Notice there's no J for judgment or P for punishment. The situation was after church last Sunday. Your behavior was you told me that you thought the sermon was stupid. The impact is I was hurt. Now that's a made-up example. But notice how precise, clear, and unaccusatory the feedback is. That's how we begin to deal with conflict in the church. And I'll use this as an opportunity to promote the upcoming Enneagram workshop on September 30th. The Enneagram is a wonderful tool that helps us to understand ourselves and others more fully so that we can be in a better position to pursue healthy relationships. That's why we are offering this workshop at a church, because it helps us to become a more beloved community in our homes, workplaces, and parish. But sometimes these conversations just don't go well. They don't address the issue at hand. People get defensive. We bring too many feelings into the conversation. We bring up the past. We project. We don't listen. Next, Jesus tells us that we're to bring two or three others into this conversation. Now, it's very important to realize why we are bringing others into this conversation. It is not to gang up on the offender. That's a surefire way to run them off. No, those others are there to make sure that we are seeking beloved community and are on target. Tyler and I have been reading a book together called Us. 
getting past you and me to build more loving relationships. It's a really good thing, and if you are in a relationship, it is good to do things intended to strengthen the relationship. To make sure that no rumors get started, our marriage is absolutely fine. <laughs> Just like lifting weights does not mean that you're weak, working on a healthy relationship only makes it stronger. And one of the things that I am being reminded of throughout this book and that I am working on recognizing is that just because we think that we are right does not actually mean that we are in the right. We all have biases that blind us. And so having two or three others with us when we are trying to reconcile a relationship keeps everyone accountable and focused on building beloved community instead of just trying to win the argument. Because those others that we bring with us into the conversation, they are not a judge. They are not a jury. They are there to help us move beyond ourselves so that we can pursue beloved community and reconciliation. Unfortunately, sometimes beloved community remains elusive. And so Jesus tells us to treat that one as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, they need to be removed from the community so that the discord does not grow and spread, threatening others in the community. To be clear, this is always a move of last resort. But we also cannot overlook the fact that this passage is recorded in a gospel authored by Matthew, a tax collector. We have to remember that Gentiles, non-Jews, are welcomed into the salvation and community of God all the time. The Canaanite woman, the Ethiopian eunuch, the Roman centurion. Even those who are excommunicated and treated as Gentiles and tax collectors always have a seat at the table. No one is ever outside God's beloved community. It's just that for a period of time, we have to agree to distance. So those seeds of peace have enough room to grow. I'll be vulnerable and honest. As a pastor, it wounds and grieves me when this reconciliation doesn't work. When members leave St. Luke's for whatever reason, it pains me. It really does. And I am not looking for any sympathy or validation simply telling you that I love you, that my duty, job, vocation, and privilege is to spend my time willing your good. And more than anything, I believe what is good for you and good for me, good for all of us together, is to gather around the Lord's table, receiving Christ's reconciling grace and mercy. If we cannot be bound together by the Eucharist, what hope is there for the future of the church, for the future of society? Now, it may well be that the people that need to hear this are not here to hear this. But I think that the Holy Spirit, perhaps working through you all, is going to make sure the message gets to them. Just know that if you ever choose to walk away from this parish, I'm coming after you. In grace, but I am coming. And I will be relentless about it. Just ask some of those who have left before. I'm going to tell you that, that you are missed. 
I'm going to tell you that I want to sit down and talk about the issue or the conflict, just as Jesus tells us to do. I'm going to tell you that though we might have disagreements, we still owe the debt of love to one another. I'm going to tell you that I will never write you off or stop holding you in prayer, just as I continue to pray for members of this parish who have left. I'm going to tell you that there is always a seat at this table for you. And I pray and ask that you hold me to that same standard. When I need to be corrected, literally for the love of God, please talk to me. When I act like the sinful human being that I am, please give me a chance to make things right. That word church, it's the one we use to describe this institution. But it's, all, it's not that great of a word, because it does not remind us of who we are or what our calling is. Really, it would be better if we called ourselves the body of Christ, gathered at St. Luke's Salisbury, or the reconciling community of St. Luke's, or the not-so-anonymous sinners at St. Luke's, or the Jesus followers of St. Luke's, or perhaps the beloved community of St. Luke's. We are a community that simply owes love to one another and pursues this love even when it is not easy. This is what it means to be a church that follows, acts, and looks like Jesus.